half-year-old church exists today because we believe the things that we're talking about. The, the things that we're going to read in the resurrection story of Jesus, I believe it to be true, not just mythology. And I believe it's life-changing. In fact, for many of us uh, that aren't aware of what the Bible actually says, I, I hope to communicate clearly what the Bible says and why we exist as Christians and as the church, that if you walked in here today and you thought, man, my hair might just light on fire because I walked through the doors of a church, <laughs> okay? Like it's your first time in a church or in years or ever, a uh, number of people throughout the weekend who were atheist or agnostic, or maybe you've got brokenness in your lives, got some baggage in your life. That sounded like me online. That was really cool. Um, it sounded egotistical too, but I want to let you know that this church exists for people just like that. We believe the church should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. And like, we don't just say that. Like, I don't take it lightly that you came out this, this morning to come and worship with us on your busy Easter weekend. I used to, growing up, be honest, I didn't enjoy it. I was drugged to church. I rebelled against God for a, a portion of my life. And, and if you're like that, I want to let you know we started this church for you. And we believe no one's too far from God experience life change through Jesus. I'm going to talk about that a little bit. Um, I do want to let you know, turn to John chapter 20, and we're going to look at 18 verses in the gospel of John. We're going to read 10 of them up front and go through the, the, the last eight verses in the second half. Uh, but as you're turning there, I know um, you come to church and it's a part of a whole Easter weekend. Is anybody going to brunch after this? You're going to stuff your face with some delicious food. Come on now, grandma's cooking for us. It's going to be good. And we're going to enjoy Easter weekend, going to do some Easter egg hunts, perhaps. Maybe get a family picture to remember all the Easter festivities. I love awkward family pictures. I got to ask her, why does she have a Rudolph in the Easter picture? I've been trying to figure that out all the week. And I'm maybe going to go get pictures with the Easter bunny. Anybody going to do that this weekend? We're going to get pictures of the Easter bunny. <laughs> or maybe uh, creepy grandma is going to dress up as the Easter bunny for you. Yeah. Dude, look at that kid's face. Isn't that awesome? Like that's worth the price of admission right there, man. Um, I love that. It's part of the experience of developing memories with your family or your friends or your roommates. Grandmas, you've earned a right to be as creepy as you want to be, right? Like, love those kids and, and help them have good family memories. See, I believe that the Easter story actually communicates to us that God sees everyone he has created as a part of his desired family. And he wants us to come home and experience and develop memories, not just with each other, but with him. He desires to be a part of our life. So I want to ask you this question. If you really think about it, it's kind of a difficult question, and that is, have you noticed God right next to you? Like, if the Bible is true, that means that the Spirit of God is with us right now in the room. And God is with us wherever we go. Kind of a scary thought, isn't it? <laughs> Everywhere. And when we know that, we realize that it changes things in our lives. Let's look at John chapter 20, beginning in verse one. We're gonna read the first 10 verses about the resurrection story of Jesus. Now, if you're new to the Bible, the gospel of John is one of four accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the other three. John was one of the original 12 disciples 
who followed Jesus and wrote this gospel good news down for us. We know that it was him also because it's the most uneducated Greek in the New Testament because he was just a common fisherman, wasn't well educated. And he writes this in the first verse of John chapter 20, verse 1. You guys ready to study God's word, church? Here we go. Yeah, Easter Sunday, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, still dark out, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Mary will be the first person to discover that Jesus' body is gone. Her and the other disciples, though, rather than going, oh, he rose from the grave. That's great. Yeah, yes. Instead, they freak out. They panic. They think someone's stolen the body. She's going there while it's still dark because she wants to get there. Uh, It had been Friday when he was crucified. Saturday was the Sabbath day of rest and no one did work. And so it was first thing Sunday morning that she was going to go in and anoint the body with oils and spices so that he might have a kingly burial. And when she finds the tomb empty, here's what happens in verse two. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple. uh, You gotta love John. Throughout the gospel of John, he never mentions his own name. He refers to him as the other disciple. John's kind of a humble bragger. You ever meet a humble bragger before? Because look what he says right after. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, you know, the one Jesus loved. Not Peter, no one liked him. Jesus couldn't stand Peter. The one Jesus loved and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him, Mary says to them. So Peter and the other disciples started for the the tomb. I love this. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter. Just so that we would remember for 2,000 years that John was the fastest. As if my eight-year-old wrote this passage and reached the tomb first, he bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in, because there'd be a dead body in there. He would go in, but then Simon Peter, the buffoon in the New Testament, came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He's like, dead body, who cares? Let's see it. Gets inside, he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Can you picture it? Finally, the other disciple, John, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Neither John and Peter nor uh, Mary Magdalene understood that. Verse 10, then the disciples went back to where they were staying. What I hope to show you, that the reality of what we know about God and the history of following God is maybe different than what you have thought it to be. In fact, some of us believe that the reality of Christianity is there is a God and he created us and he's really upset with us. He's angry at us. And so we need to act better, be better people, stop being bad people so that he'll like us more. And eventually, if we do enough good stuff so this God who's angry at us likes us enough, then we'll get to go to heaven when we die someday. But it doesn't really have anything to do with my life now. You realize that's not actually what the Bible says at all. The The story of the Bible in creation was that God looks at it and he says he's well pleased. And from the very beginning, God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. He desired relationship with us as humankind. And for the first humans, we rebelled against God. But rather than smiting us, he did not give up on his creation. He said, fine, I, I will make Israel my people. I will be your God and you will be my people. And yet they, like the rest of humankind, continued to rebel against him. So he sent the judges. They didn't listen. He sent the, the kings. They didn't follow. 
And eventually, he sends the prophets, and still they don't turn from their ways. But rather than giving up, he continues to pursue us and pursue us and pursue us. And we celebrate at Christmas time that Jesus is born into the world, and they call him what? Emmanuel, God with us. That he's always desired to be with us in our lives, in the good and in the bad, in the fun and in the suffering. He desires to be with us, to commune with us, to have relationship with us. And ultimately, we know that Jesus gives his life up on the cross, atoning or covering up for our mistakes and wrongdoing. That anybody in here, no matter what your baggage was, no matter how your past is, what you did last weekend, if we truly ask God for forgiveness, we can be forgiven and draw near to him, a perfect God. Because Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. But it didn't just end with the crucifixion. On the third day, we reread, they don't fully understand yet that he actually raises from the grave. No grave could hold our Lord. He overcame death itself. That anybody who knows Jesus can live with God eternally in heaven as heaven and earth come together and they can experience him in their lives. Now, it doesn't just apply to when you die. It applies now that you are never alone. He is with you wherever you go. That's the good news of the story. And one day, the scriptures teach Jesus will return and all the pain and the suffering, the tears of this world will end and he will put the world right and we will live with him in perfect harmony with him and with other people for all of eternity. I'd like to share that story through the eyes of Mary Magdalene this morning. Will you pray with me? God, we pause for a moment and we think of that first Easter Sunday when Mary and the disciples are startled. I think it's no mistake that you chose the storyline that you did here in this passage. And so we pause for a second and we acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit in this room with us right now. That you're here with those watching online on their phones or on their iPads or their computers right now. God, we pray that you would minister to us, we would acknowledge your presence, and that we might turn towards you rather than away. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said, Amen. Amen. Do we have any high schoolers or middle schoolers in this service? Yeah, come on now. I know we got crazy students here. Hey, we had a middle school lock-in in this space on Good Friday, didn't we? I, I love that uh, our church is like this. Good Friday, we got a whole bunch of middle schoolers packing this place out, having a lock-in, talking about Jesus. It's cool. It's part of the fastest-growing area of our church is Mercy Students. Nyla Stanback was just up here singing. Didn't she do a wonderful job? 12 years old, and we believe in raising up the next generation that, to, to know Jesus and love him in every aspect, and so we take that seriously, but you remember how hard middle school and high school were? Like, some of you, you forgot. It was hard, right? Like, you're so insecure and worried about stuff, and were people going to judge you? I know what it's like to be judged when I was 15 years old and about to start high school, I had a gas permeable hard contacts. Anybody remember those things? Some people, my, my mother still wears them actually. And I had had glasses since the fourth grade, got contacts when I was in seventh or eighth grade and I used to break them. And they were very expensive. My parents would get upset. And they told me, Josh, if you ever lose another contact, uh, you're either going to have to, you're gonna have to go buy a new one yourself. We're not paying for it anymore. So I used to do this thing where I would pop the contact out of my eyeball and I would place it in my mouth. Don't judge me. You do this too. I know you. You put it in your mouth and you clean it. It's a little gross. You take it back out and then you put it back in your eye to clean the contact. 
lot of people judging me, but that was what I would do. And on this one particular night, this is a true story, uh, this will date me a little bit, but I was watching the movie uh, Dumb and Dumber. You remember that movie? Okay, yeah. I had taken the contact out, placed it in my mouth while I was watching it. Lloyd said something funny to Harry, and I was like, ha, ha, ha. You can guess what happened. I swallowed the contact. And so this is a true story. I'm not, I'm not making this up. I went to my parents, my loving parents, and I said, I just swallowed my contact. And they looked at me, and they said, Josh, you're either going to get it back. We all tracking? Or you're going to have to pay and buy a new one. I didn't have a job. I had no money. So story be told, I went with option number one. And I will spare you the details on Easter Sunday before brunch. But three days later, I had that thing back, baby. And I've got it in my eye right now. It's been a little foggy this morning, but I just kidding. I threw that thing away. I never wore it again. But that's a true story, and it happened as I was starting high school, and I had an older brother. And older brothers, you know what you do when you hear a story like that. He went in my first week of high school. He told all the upperclassmen in the whole school about my story. And so I'd be walking down the hallways, and there would be seniors at their locker as I was walking by. go, oh, it's the kid, it's the kid. They had the contact story with the, oh, that's so gross. He's disgusting. And that was how I started high school. For the first six months, that was my reputation. You ever felt like that, outcasted by people? People talking about you behind your back. You remember middle school and high school? It doesn't just happen. That happens to adults today. We talk about each other all the time. Some of us, we got tough stories, a lot worse than the contact story. We've done bad things. We've had bad things done to us. And we were afraid to even, some of us, walk into a space like this. Because we've met some religious people before who rather than creating a place of healing, created a place of judgment. And I find it interesting that the first woman who, the first person who's gonna discover the risen Christ is Mary Magdalene. If you're unfamiliar with the story of Mary Magdalene, she was a social outcast. You think you've got bad stuff? She had a whole lot worse going on in her life. In fact, in Luke chapter eight, verse two, it says in the second half, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. You think that you have done some bad stuff or you got some junk in your life, and you may, but I know you don't have seven demons. Maybe you do and we're unaware, but she had seven. In fact, it may have been symbolic of all of the seven major sins, right? Like she, had this, she was a messed up person. Now, some have wrongly attributed that she was a prostitute. The Bible does not say anywhere in the New Testament that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute. The idea for that didn't come around until 591 AD when Pope Gregory the Great gave an Easter sermon where he connected a different passage in the New Testament to Mary Magdalene. However, that had never been connected for over 500 years before that, and most likely scholars agree that she was not a prostitute, at least we couldn't make that claim. What we do know is that she was a mess. She had seven demons, and she grew up uh, in a town called Magdala. That's what Magdalene means. She's from Magdala, which was on the west coast of the Sea of Galilee, and it was a commercial fishing center. And so this young woman, who probably had potential at one time, right? Like all of us, 
She could picture her life and the success she was going to have, and she's going to settle down, have the 2.3 children, and have a great life, get a little pleasure out of this fleeting moment blip on the map we call life. And then life really happened to her. And she finds herself most likely living on the streets of Magdala. She was the type of person when you walk through the town, you said, hurry up, get the kids, come on, let's go. Don't look her way, don't look her way. Because she was a mess and she was broken and she was hurting. They didn't want to deal with it. But it was Jesus who most likely walked through that town and found her. And it's interesting that he freed her from demonic possession, freed her from all the things that had restricted her life. You brought some brokenness in here this morning. You have brought some issues with you this morning. I hope and I desire in our prayers for you, and we've had people praying all morning long over here in our prayer room, and we have just seen countless people have their lives changed over this last weekend, guys. I'm not making that up. It's this last service. I, I couldn't even count what was going on of people realizing, like Mary Magdalene, God could use even a broken person like them. And I think it's no mistake that the storyline God chose for the first Easter, the first person to see that Jesus is resurrected, was an outcast, demon-possessed, Middle Eastern woman. That no matter what you have going on in your life, no matter what other people think of you, Jesus doesn't look at you and just see you as a bad person. He sees you as his creation that he loves and desperately wants to come home and desires a relationship with you, to be with you, that no one is too far from God to experience life change through Jesus Christ. The Bible is full of stories like Mary Magdalene who were far from God and experienced incredible life change. The apostle Paul had once overseen the killing of Christians. He writes much of the New Testament David was an adulterer who goes on to do great things because God redeemed his story despite his failures. Noah was a drunk, and yet God used him in his life after that and redeemed his story as well. What could he do with you? There may be sleeping giants of the faith this morning that are here, and God may be beginning to awaken you to the reality of him. The, the Bible teaches us in 2 Corinthians five seventeen that we become, when we know Jesus, a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It's not just April the giraffe that's going to be bringing new life this weekend. I had to slide it in there somewhere, right? We waited like two months for that. But some of us will experience that this weekend. When I first, as a young man in a fraternity house, experienced that, my fraternity brothers literally would go, what happened? You changed. And over the time, they got to see the good parts of that. But if you're sitting there and say, that sounds great, but how do you really get to know God? I want to give you very quickly three realizations, according to the second half of John 20, of how to know God. And the first one is this. It might be the most simple, but the most important. You need Jesus. When I was first searching out my faith, I began to realize the uniqueness of Christianity was Jesus. The storyline wasn't this angry God, and I needed to please him. Instead, it was that God cared enough about us. He sent his only son and Jesus took my place on the cross and that he rose from the grave overcoming death itself. He has victory over death. He is the one that won the right for us to commune and to know God and live with him forever. And it's because of his grace and his mercy that I get to love him back with the same grace and mercy in my life. Mary, she gets this first one right. She'll fail on the next two, but she gets this one right. She knew that she needed Jesus. She needed so badly, she's just going to be a mess here. Look at verse 11. Now, Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And then it says, as she wept, 
She bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? It's like three times it mentions that she's crying or weeping, and she says, they have taken my Lord away. She knew she needed Jesus in her life so desperately because she had known what it was like to live with and travel with him and the disciples. And she wanted him back. She said, I don't know where they have put him. Can you picture it? Now, I was talking to my wife about this passage. She knows she's weeping so much. She goes, it's almost like she's like ugly crying in this passage. Do you know that phrase, ugly crying? I didn't really know it, so I had to Google it. And like this picture popped up for ugly crying. And apparently it's not just women that ugly cry. Even MJ cries. And LeBron, we know he cries. And Dawson's for Dawson's Creek, we definitely, that's just creepy. And we know Eric Maitland cries all the time. Every night to bed. That she's just weeping and broken here because she needs it so much. She knows he's the solution to her problems. Now she's going to miss a couple other things, but it's not uncommon, like Mary Magdalene, for others who love Jesus to want more of him in their life. Unfortunately, for many of us as human beings, we often go through a life and when problems we're faced with and we're having financial difficulties, difficulties in our marriage, difficulties with our kids or our grandkids, in school or with our friends, people talking about us, we think we're alone and that no one cares. And the only way to fix the problem is just to fix it yourself. Will it? Or escape through addictive habits, drugs and alcohol and other behaviors to avoid the real problems that are going on in our lives. I, I've done those in my past and I know that we had two worship leaders up here who have been a part of recovery for a long time. And we believe nobody's too far from God, but unfortunately, we identify the wrong problems and we try and fix our marriage. We try and fix our finances. We don't, we don't ever invite God into it. He desires to be with us in our problems. And so we don't even really know what the problem is. I believe that we aren't just physical, but spiritual beings. And it's only we invite God in that we get to the source of the problem. Just to illustrate this real, fun, uh, real quick for 90 seconds, kind of fun, let's watch this together. It's just, there's all this pressure you know? And sometimes it feels like it's right up on me and I can just feel it, like literally feel it in my head and it's relentless and I don't know if it's going to stop. I mean, that's the thing that scares me the most is that I don't know if it's ever going to stop. Yeah. Well, you do have a nail in your head it is not about the nail. Are you sure? Because, I mean, I'll bet if we got that out of there... Stop trying to fix it. No, I'm not trying to fix it. I'm just pointing out that maybe the nail is causing... You always do this. You always try to fix things when what I really need is for you to just listen. See, I don't think that is what you need. I think what you need is to get the nail See, out. you're not even listening now. Okay, fine. I will listen. Fine. It's just... Sometimes it's like there's this achy... I don't know what it is. And I'm not sleeping very well at all. And all my sweaters are snagged. I mean, all of them. I, that sounds really hard. It is. Thank you. Ow! Come on, Ow. if you would just- Don't! Try to see- Anybody identify a little bit with that? Oh, man, I love that video. If we're honest, it's not just our wives, right? Like husbands, we're just as bad. It's all of us as humankind. 
What if we got to the source of the problem? It's only been at times when I've invited God into my issues where I began to realize the real problem was I was trying to fix everything instead of turning to the one who can fix things. The second point to realizing of how to know God in your life is to understand that he's with you. He's with you as I started this message with. In fact, Mary Magdalene, she doesn't realize that Jesus is with her here in this passage. She's so desperate trying to fix her problem of finding him that she doesn't realize that he's standing right next to her. Look at verse 14. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And I just want to go, what? Really? Like, how do you know it's not Jesus? Right? Has she been ugly crying so bad that she can't even see him? Is this like a case? He's got like his Clark Kent glasses on or something? Like, how, how do you not recognize? I don't know. The scriptures don't, don't say. But I find it really interesting because I don't think today we're that different. Because we get so busy and distracted trying to pursue our careers and our kids and all of this stuff. Finding somebody to spend our life with that we miss out on the reason that we were created in the first place. To know God, to love him back to live your life for him, that you were created for a purpose. You were not here by mistake. I believe our sovereign God in scripture says that he would, knew you would even be here today. And he continues to pursue us and pursue us and pursue us. He desires a relationship with us, but she misses it. Verse 15, he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was just the gardener. I love that. I do that all the time. God, I'm really busy. I can't, I don't need you right now. You're just kind of getting in the way. I got to fix my problems. Stop bothering me. You ever do that? He's just the gardener. He doesn't really know to find Jesus. And then she says, well, maybe he does. Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will go and get him. Did you catch that? She says, hey, gardener, sir, if you know where the dead male body is, I will go and get it and I will personally carry it back to the tomb. That's how desperate she is to fix her problems and misses what's right in front of her. I do it all of the time. In fact, just last August, we did a teaching series called Underground Jesus. Some of you guys remember that? We do that series every year, and we made these T-shirts that didn't say Mercy Road. It just had an artist's rendition of the face of Jesus on it. And so I wore that T-shirt. I preached three times that morning about Jesus. After I got done preaching about Jesus, I was wearing my Jesus T-shirt, and I went to my son's second grade basketball game. This is also a true story. I went in there and they said, sir, uh, we'd really love it if you would help us at the scores table. And I thought, man, I'm wearing my Jesus t-shirt. What would Jesus do? He'd go over there and keep some scores. So <laughs> sat down. I really helped them with their scoring problems and really figured out how to keep score for everyone. And then I began to realize they didn't just need my help at the scores table. The, they could really use my help with the referees because don't, you do this too. Like I began to communicate very loudly at a second grade basketball game why the referees were doing a really bad job and how they could do their jobs better. And then I realized they didn't just need my help with refereeing. The opposing team's coach needed my help too because she was a, clearly a bad coach because she has brought up bad children who are out here behaving badly because she's a bad coach. You're a bad coach. You had to yell at the bad coach. I'm yelling at the referees all where I'm wearing my Jesus t-shirt and talk about Jesus all morning. You ever compartmentalize your life a little bit? Jesus is all fun and games while you're here at church and then you go out in your life. Well, Jesus isn't with me anymore. Mary Magdalene's got a little case of that. Here's the truth. The referees at halftime came up to me and they looked at me in my t-shirt and they said, um, sir, if you continue to yell at us at the second grade basketball game, we're going to have to remove you from the facility. 
Isn't that embarrassing? And the whole time I'm wearing my Jesus t-shirt. It's really great publicity. And I share that because whether you were Christian or you're new to the faith or you're searching things out, it is so easy to get distracted in this life and not to invite God into every aspect when we go to the grocery store to know that he is with us to when we go and we're there trying to parent our children and invite him into that difficult process. And we're arguing with our spouse to invite him into that. He doesn't just want to be with us in the good times, guys. He wants to be with us in the difficult times. When Mary Magdalene is distraught, she's been ugly crying. Jesus shows up in this passage, and I think it's no mistake. Look what happens when she finally realizes who it is. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, he calls her by name. The Bible says in Revelation that he will give us each a name. God's desire is not just for you to be like, hey, guy, hey, girl, right? Like he wants to know you by name, to have a relationship with you. You get to be known by the almighty God who created the heavens and the earth and everything in the universe. And he wants you, a relationship with you. And it's only when he calls Mary Magdalene by her name that she turned around. I think it's really important that she turned around. Why? Because it means if she had to turn around, she had had her back towards Jesus. And I think metaphorically, symbolically for so many of us, of humankind, this is how we live much of our life. She's a gardener. I got to fix my problems. I'm too busy. Don't you see, I got all these major problems. I'm suffering, there's evil, and I got to do all this stuff. Just leave me alone. And rather than turning to him in our times of need, we turn away from him. Don't you find that ironic? I've done it much of my life, and it's only been when I've discovered a relationship with Christ and as I've grown in faith over time that I've learned, man, I really need to turn to him more often. And look what happens when he calls her by name. She turns and she says, Rabboni, teacher. You see the difference? Back turned to now turning towards him, running to his arms, saying, teach me your ways. When you learn the ways of Jesus, it changes things in your life. Number three, realization is he changes you. You are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. People will begin to notice a difference in your life. Go, what happened? Things are changing in your life. And you can go, it's because God is actually at work. It's not some weird hokey thing. It's real. And you can invite him in. Mary Magdalene in verses 17 and 18 will go on to tell all the disciples and she will spend much of her life, like much of the early Christians, advancing the kingdom of God, proclaiming the name of Jesus, helping those in need. She now had a purpose and a mission in this life. And it wasn't just that she had known him for a few years and known about him. She knew what it was like to know the resurrected Christ that defeated death. And you could invite in that he is with you wherever you're at. Unfortunately, you and I, when we get distracted with the busyness of this life and we escape with different means so that we could avoid the pain rather than turning to the one who could heal it, we eventually find ourselves broken, lost, and avoiding anything to do with God. Got our backs turned to him going, God, where are you? Not pointing any fingers. I know what that's like to experience. Like Mary Magdalene, we often fail to see that God is right next to us, right now, with us, where we are in the journey of this life. He is not dead. He's not gone away. He is not retired. He stands with us. Like thousands of years ago in the tomb, when Mary Magdalene discovered this relationship, where we could invite him in to the pain and the suffering and the troubles in our lives that many of us are experiencing. Rather than running away, we could begin to pursue him with our lives. We could invite him in, not just to the easy stuff, but to the hard stuff as well. 
the problems in our marriages and the problems in our relationship. He stands with us. He is not distant. And the things that have been done to us, he hurts with us. In our darkest hour, he what desires to be there for us. Why do we run away? Why don't we invite him in? It's his heart desire. It's why he came. Rather than turning to drugs and alcohol or turning to relationship after relationship and broken dreams in our lives, rather than turning to what many of us do, which is after mistakes, we run to violence and hurt other people because we've been hurt. What if we turn to him and we invited him in and he says, why are you crying? I am here. Stop turning your back. Turn to me. Call me teacher, Rabbi. because it didn't come easy. It came at a price that he sacrificed for us, his death on a cross, crucified so that you and I could know him, be forgiven for our mistakes, be redeemed by him, and live a new life, one surrendered to him. Maybe this Easter, April 16, 2017, you're gonna admit he is here and I'm going to invite him in. His cross is enough, no grave can hold him. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come to you this Easter and I thank you. I thank you that 17 years ago, you changed my life forever. I thank you for the people coming up to sing on the stage who were addicted to things in their lives, Lord Jesus, and yet they surrendered to you. You brought freedom, just like you did for Mary Magdalene. And we're not gonna be ashamed of that any longer. We're gonna invite you in to the pain and the suffering and the brokenness. We're going to invite you in and remember that no grave could hold you, that no matter what we're facing in our life, your power over death itself is enough. And there are some people right now that you have been awakening to your reality in their lives, that you knew that they would be here this morning. Many of us, if we stopped acknowledging you, And honestly, if we lay in bed at night, sometimes we're unsure what will happen to us when we die. The Bible teaches us we do not need to fear death. It says very clearly in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess Jesus as Lord with your mouth, then you know that you will live with him eternally in heaven. You have salvation. And so if you're here and you don't want to be ashamed anymore of the good news of Jesus Christ, and you want to surrender everything in your life to him, whether for the first time Or maybe you've just gone astray and you'd like to come home and run to his open arms. It's waiting for you. I invite you to pray this prayer with me silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess I'm not perfect. Forgive me for my wrongdoing. Thank you that you gave your life that I could know you, that you overcame death itself. And so right now, I'm not ashamed anymore. I surrender my life to you fully, Lord Jesus. May you use me in miraculous ways like you would the early followers who came to know you. I give you everything. And then God, I just right now with our eyes closed for a moment, if you prayed that, would you do me a favor? I, we're not gonna make you do anything, but I want you to raise your hand for just a moment and I wanna pray something specifically. I see you right here, man. That's awesome. Praise God. The, Wow, the five of you over here, I see all of you on the right side over here. Thank you for that. And I believe God sees that. I see uh, the two of you on my left over here. Thank you. For those of you online, just at your computer or with your phone, just raise your hand for a moment. We can't see you, but raise your hand. 
God, and then you can place your hands down. God, you saw each of those souls that are represented. The seven that I saw in this room, maybe there were others that I'd missed. Somebody watching online. Maybe somebody you've begun to work in is saying, I'm all yours. God, I pray that this isn't just a prayer, that now as we celebrate that we get to live with you in heaven one day, that they now experience you fully in their life. Everywhere they go, they're like, God's with me, and I can face whatever I'm facing. Use each of those lives in powerful ways. We surrender all of us to you, and particularly those seven people. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's family said, amen. Amen.